Good morning, church, and Happy New Year to you. My name is Matt Speaks. I have the privilege of serving here as a pastoral resident, and it's an honor to preach from Psalm 91 this morning. Let's go to God and ask for His help one more time. Father, help us to receive Your Word faithfully this morning. In this passage, we see a remarkable promise given by You, our remarkable protector. So Father, would You help us to trust that You protect us in a world of danger. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is there anything in your life that you're afraid of today? Have you ever felt like danger surrounds you from all directions, like evil is crouching, ready to attack your faith, your joy, your strength, your thoughts, your health, your livelihood? Well, this morning, danger is in trouble because we have a psalm that is all about God's protection in a world of danger. It teaches us, friends, that we are safe. We're going to take a journey through Psalm 91 together. And when we read the very first verse of this psalm, it comes to life for us. The words just jump off the page and a picture comes to mind. That's what happens with good poetry. I wonder what you see when you read it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What do you see when you read that? What comes to your mind? For me, I envision a mighty fortress, a mighty indestructible fortress. And today, my desire is that we would go to the fortress together. Now, there's a couple of reasons why Psalm 91 was on my heart. And the first is because this has been crucial for our family. As you may know, next fall, our plan is to go to go with a group of faithful brothers and sisters here sent to plant King's Church in High Point. And while there is an abundance of joy and excitement and reward in this, the task can seem daunting at times. And I need to be reminded that God is my shelter. I'm so tempted to run to other things for protection. So I need the reminder that if I'm under the shadow of the Almighty, I'm in the safest place I could ever be. Now, I know some of you are on the core team or you're praying about it, or maybe you're considering some other scary but God-glorifying task, even if that's simply sharing the gospel with your neighbor or your coworker. And like any normal human being, you realize there is risk. But church, we will never risk the promises of God being true for us. And so I pray you latch on to the promise of protection in Psalm 91 and follow him wherever he leads you. But there's another reason why I wanted to preach this psalm on December 31st, New Year's Eve. It's not lost on me that the past month has been a time of worldwide celebration. Every radio station, every commercial, every Hallmark movie, Hot cocoa and s'mores and carols all proclaiming this is the most wonderful time of the year. And for some of you in this room, it feels like the most painful. And a new year isn't something you're excited to count down for. 
Perhaps you and your spouse have experienced the joy of anticipation only to be let down again. I know that some of you are asking God what's next for work. And while you do trust him to provide, things are getting tight and it's uncomfortable at the moment. Or maybe you've longed for that picture-perfect Christmas in a peaceful home, but it didn't come again. You're fighting just to keep your marriage afloat. And brothers and sisters, I know that some of you are going through the holidays this year with someone you love who is missing. It's different now. Hanging the stocking and decorating the tree and singing the songs and taking the photo, none of it is the same. Friends, I'm sorry for the danger and despair that surrounds you. A danger and despair that you feel so sharply this time of year. And so my prayer is that you would come with me to the fortress this morning and remember that you are safe. That you are safe because of God's protection in a world of danger. Even though evil is all around you, God Almighty surrounds you. We'll see these things in Psalm 91. We'll see God's protection and we'll see our safety. We'll see this protection and safety in a world of danger. And we'll see it as we hold up this psalm and observe it from three different angles. As a whole, this psalm is like a beautiful diamond. But when you turn it this way or that way, the light of God's protection shines through afresh. In fact, there's so many things to encourage us here in this psalm. All that's left to do is to tell you about them which is what I will do now. The first angle we view this psalm from is an astonishing promise. And most of our time will actually be spent here this morning. And so look at this promise with me. It's stated so clearly in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If you cling to God, if you take refuge under his arms, he will protect you. We envisioned it earlier, but let's go back to that fortress again. Imagine with me a dangerously hot summer day. Enemies everywhere that you look. And yet there's an indestructible shelter. Outside of the shelter is a world of trouble. There's no hope of protection there. But if you dwell in the fortress, you will be safe. The sun is beating down, but you are in the shadow. Arrows are flying through the air, but they bounce off the stone walls. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the promise. God is promising protection in a world of danger. He's promising that if you are His, then you are safe. And so that's verse 1. But if you notice, verses 3 through 13 expand on this promise. Verse 1 is general, if you will. Verses 3 through 13 get specific. Yes, God will protect you, but not just against some things. And at some times, God protects His people from all things and at all times which is good news because you're here this morning with something that pains you or frightens you and there's a verse for you somewhere in Psalm 91. Just look at how comprehensive God's protection is. 
We're going to make some quick observations here. The goal is not to dive into all of the details, but just to see how far God's protection reaches. For instance, he protects us against traps. Verse 3 says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And then there's protection against harm. Verses 5 and 6 say, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. God protects us against ultimate death. Verses 7 and 8 say, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So wrath and destruction will come, but if you're his, you won't face it with your soul and your body. You'll only see it with your eyes from afar. As verse 10 puts it, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. God's protection is complete. It extends to the ailments that would destroy us. Multiple times he mentions a pestilence or a plague in this passage. This is ultimate protection against all things. I mean, just look at the metaphors that are used here. In verse 2, God is called my refuge and my fortress. And there's strength there. But in verse 4, it says, He will cover you with His pinions. And under His wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And so we get this mighty fortress with impenetrable walls, warriors using shields to stop the blows, but this is mixed with the tenderness of a bird caring for her little ones. And don't we need both? Protection that makes us feel brave and protection that makes us feel loved. What we're seeing here is how complete God's protection is. I know there's some debate on whether or not we all have our own personal guardian angels. And I'm not sure where you land on that issue, but I do know Psalm 91 gives us something better to talk about. Because God will command an army of angels to protect you. Verses 11 and 12 are remarkable. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Just imagine walking down a difficult path where the opportunities to stumble are infinite, and each time your toe goes to hit a rock or trip over that root, God's angels lift you over it. It's like you're doing the motion of walking, but you're really just floating. This is ultimate protection against all things and at all times. Don't miss the emphasis of time in verses 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. So midnight, midday, the Lord protects at all times. When you're wide awake or fast asleep, you are safe. One of my favorite aspects of this list is that so many of the dangers that we see here are unseen by us. Traps, snakes, stones that can be tripped over, stalkers in the night, evil lurking in the dark. 
Of course, there's all kinds of dangers that you do know about, and God protects you from those as well. Those are the ones you're aware of this morning. But there are also so many that are unknown. And even though you were unaware of them, God sees them and keeps you safe from them. And that couldn't be any more clear than when He protects you in the evening when everything is dark and your eyes are heavy. Ultimate protection against all things and at all times. Now let's pause for a moment because that might have felt like a lot to take in. And I think that's the point. I wonder why the psalmist didn't just give us verse 1. Why take the time to list a multitude of evils that occur at a multitude of times? Why not just tell us that He protects us and leave it at that? Well, perhaps He knows the reality of life and that life is hard and that there will be a multitude of various kinds of trials that come. And we will be prone to fear and anxiety and depression and worry. We'll question, does His protection extend to this situation at this time in my life? And the psalmist's answer is, yes, it does. He's keeping you safe in your circumstances right now. That's the promise. But you might be wondering, Matt, what happens when pestilence does strike? What if evil does befall me? And that's a good question to ask. In fact, I I think most people who've been encouraged by this psalm have been encouraged at a time when those questions were most real. Strangely, the words seem more impactful when you're getting laid off instead of promoted. There's a wrestling in our hearts and we're tempted to doubt. But in the moments that those questions are most real, these words offer the most comfort. How strange. Yet we have to deal with the question because we could interpret this psalm in a way that none of the believers in the Bible ever did. For instance, Paul was persecuted and shipwrecked multiple times and not once did he question God's faithfulness to uphold this promise. In fact, he told Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in Acts 14.22, he took a brand new group of Christians and this is what he taught them. That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And think about what Peter said. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. How do we make sense of these things that no evil shall be allowed to befall you, but don't be surprised when it does? Did you know that Satan tempted Jesus with a faulty interpretation of Psalm 91. What a silly thing to do, right? (laughs) So Jesus, says Satan in Matthew 4, 6, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written in Psalm 91, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Interpret this wrongly, Well, you're not really the Son of God, are you? Well, your faith isn't strong enough, is it? It's one of the deceiver's most common tactics to take the promises of God, promises meant for your comfort, where strength can be drawn, to take those very promises and warp them into something they were never intended to be. 
so that a mountain of faith-fueling truth like Psalm 91 becomes the opposite. What is intended to boost your faith gets twisted and now you think you don't have enough because bad things are happening to you. Friends, Jesus wasn't impressed with Satan's interpretation and so we shouldn't be either. I think it's best we stick with the greatest teacher of all time on this one. And so this promise can't mean that faithful Christians will never experience pain or or heartache or trial or suffering. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. Jesus himself knew it. In fact, Psalm 91 admits it. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. In fact, I think the whole psalm implies it. God is talked about as a shelter and a fortress. And you don't need a fortress in times of peace, do you? You need one in times of war. God is our fortress, and we need Him to be our fortress, not because the attacks never come, but precisely because they do. And this promise is that He will protect you in them. So, what does this promise mean then? What does it mean when He says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you? Well, it means that you are safe in the ultimate sense. I think about Peter denying Jesus three times. Danger encircled him. Satan was demanding to sift Peter like wheat. But, says Jesus, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. If you are his, nothing will be able to utterly destroy you. You are safe in the ultimate sense. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus Jesus is praying this for us now. There was a man named Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers and he was sold into slavery. He was falsely imprisoned. He was forgot about in the cell. And all along the way, there's this one phrase that repeats, but the Lord was with Joseph. Just like verse 15, I will be with him in trouble. And so when Joseph one day looks at his Brothers in the face, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, we can say in one sense that evil came to Joseph. But in another sense, in an ultimate sense, the way that Psalm 91 means it, God did not allow evil to come upon him. I think one of the keys to understanding this promise in Psalm 91 is found in verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now notice, in this verse, we move away from simply hiding in the fortress. Here, we're crushing the danger with our heels. I mean, what else would you expect for those who call the promised snake crusher their king? There's another place where something similar is said in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's danger. And yet Paul can say, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the evils are real, but not only are these evils unable to ultimately destroy you, Paul says you will be more than a conqueror in all of them. 
You will tread on them. You will trample them underfoot. Perhaps what he means is that these evils will not only be defeated, but they will become servants for your good. Time and time again, this is what the Bible teaches, that for those who love God, he works all things together for good. There was a time when Paul talked about an affliction that he experienced in Asia. He said, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever felt that way? And then Paul's able to say, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This pain came with a purpose. Why else could James tell us to count it all joy when various trials come? How strange that a Christian feels the pain of trial but considers it joy when it arrives. It's because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Once again, the pain came with a purpose. And I think one of the most beautiful verses for this is 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Affliction preparing glory. And I believe this is one of the greatest forms of protection. That yes, evil is there. And even though it strikes you, when the temptation strikes and the sickness strikes and the grief strikes and the depression strikes, each blow is not only unable to harm you in the ultimate sense, it's storing up for you an eternal weight of glory. Spurgeon was able to say, it's impossible that any ill should happen to the man who's beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Love, uh, uh, sorry, losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure when others are in peril. He lives where others die. That's the promise of Psalm 91. So you are safe in the midst of your heartache. And as you seek to walk down that scary, God-glorifying path ahead, He will protect you. But this promise is only extended to those who take shelter in God. Our temptation is to run to other things for shelter so that we feel secure or comforted if we have this or if we have that. I'm sure you know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. And look, many of these things are good gifts from the Lord, but they cannot be the object of our trust. If we just take a look at history, how many cities with large walls have fallen? How many ships with great builds have sunk? How many militaries with great men have collapsed? I'm sure the citizens of Jericho felt safe behind their mighty walls. But if the Lord isn't protecting, the walls are coming down. 
And so often, God has humbled His own children by tearing down the objects of our trust so that our hope can only be in Him. To be clear, the Bible is filled with wisdom about taking wise measures, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the hurricane comes, there is something wrong with hiding in a shanty instead of the bunker. And so the psalmist wants to take us to the bunker. And he does this not only by showing us the promise, but also the protector. And so we hold up this diamond a second time to view it from another angle where the light of the protector shines through. In verses 1 through 2, the protector is referred to with four titles. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Four names, the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and my God. He's called the Most High God. And isn't it true that in times of trouble, we often elevate the threat in our minds and our hearts? What we're afraid of becomes our greatest focus. And we need to be reminded time and time again that the one who promises to protect us is the Most High. And He's the Most High by an infinite margin. Every time the guys come by to cut the grass here at the church, our two little boys get terrified of the sound. And they run to mommy and daddy. It's the most natural thing in the world for kids to go to their parents when they're afraid because mommy and daddy can do something about it. They're bigger than the problem in their mind. But who can do something about the tragedy you're facing today? The Most High can. This shrinks the danger to size. Not because it's small compared to you and me, but because it's small compared to Him. And He's promised to protect you from it. He's also called the Almighty, El Shaddai. Before God revealed Himself as Yahweh to Moses, He made Himself known to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. It means God all-powerful or the most powerful. So just consider the trials that someone like Abraham had to face. He had to travel to unknown territories where he was confronted by a multitude of enemies. And if you read through the book of Genesis, it's a gruesome book. But these men, just like you and me, were upheld and comforted by God Almighty. And so when you feel powerless, remember that the most powerful one is your protector, the protector is also called the Lord. Now, when you see the word Lord in all caps like that in the Old Testament, we're dealing with the name Yahweh. This is the personal name of God when he revealed himself to Moses. Moses was in the midst of a dangerous task. Free the people of Israel from out underneath the mightiest nation in the world, the Egyptians. Can you imagine the fear that he would have had? A man who already had to leave Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. Now he has to go back, reveal that he himself is a Hebrew who will free the Hebrews. And the Hebrews are slaves to Egypt being used to advance the kingdom at a cheap price. There's no way that they're going to walk free without a fight. And so Moses says, who am I that I could do that? 
God responds and says, I will be with you. But who should I say sent me? Asks Moses. God says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. When Moses needed strength in a world of danger, God said, I am has sent you. Now back in Psalm 91, the protector is called the I am. Did you know that nothing else in the world can make that claim? Only God can say, I am who I am. He just is who He is apart from anyone or anything. That's what it means to be God. He is ultimate. Everything else, even powerful Egypt, exists and moves and has its being only because of Him. And so the very thing that you and me are afraid of, or the very thing that is hurting us this morning, is what it is only because of the I Am. It is subject to Him, reliant upon Him, dependent upon Him. And the great I Am says, He will be with you. Lastly, the protector is called my God. It's one thing if the Most High Almighty Yahweh is someone else's God, it's quite another if He's yours. If He's someone else's God and not yours, there's really no hope. But if He's your God, then you have all the help that you ever need. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. But something in this text has pierced your heart and you perceive that you need God to be your shelter. His promise of protection seems beautiful to you in this moment. And you see that He is the Most High, Almighty Yahweh. Friend, I want so badly for you to join us in the fortress. But is He your God? Verses 14 and 15 tell us who this promise is for. The one who holds fast to Him in love. The one who knows Him by name. The one who calls to Him. Maybe you've never once called upon the name of the Lord in your life. But the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I urge you to make Him your God today. But I do need to be clear that the greatest need you have is not protection from some temporary problem. You need protection from God's eternal judgment. And the only way to avoid the judgment of the wicked so that we only see with our eyes, like verse 8 says, is to call upon Jesus to save you. The one who took judgment in the place of sinners by dying on the cross so that if you believe, there will no longer be any condemnation left for you. And you can have assurance that he works everything for your good. So come to him as your Savior, and you will be truly safe forever. I love how these first two verses are filled with meditations on who God is. So let's take a lesson from here that instead of dwelling on our problem when it comes, we should dwell on the one who protects us in it. Now we need to turn the prism one more time. We've seen the beams of light and the promise We've seen the glory shining of the protector. Let's pay attention to the perspectives from which this psalm is written. We already talked about how verse 1 is a general truth. 
It's written from a general perspective. Just look at it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's true. But things shift quickly in verse 2. It becomes personal from the writer. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Whoever takes shelter in God, God will protect them. And before moving on to teach other people this, he applies it to himself. Friends, the promises of God are too beautiful for us to miss out on them. We all know that convicting sermon our wife needs to hear. We've all read the Bible verse that your husband really needs to memorize or the promise that your friend really needs to trust. And I'm not against wives hearing and husbands memorizing or friends trusting. I just think we should do the same. The psalmist gives us a pattern to follow. Listen to the sermon. Read the word. Hear the promise. And then say, I need it. Of course others need it, but I need it. The mark of whether or not verse 1 is precious to you is not only if you could see how it's precious to others. The mark is whether or not it's precious to you. And while you are telling others to come and dwell in the fortress, make sure you're not dwelling outside of it. Is this precious to you? Let me just suggest one way to make this psalm your own. Pray it. Go phrase by phrase, verse by verse. Whatever cares and concerns come to mind, you cast them on the Lord. Now do this realizing what this promise does and doesn't mean, like we've already discussed. But call out to your refuge, your fortress, your God. But like all things precious to us, it overflows. This truth is so good. How could we not tell other people about it? And so the perspective goes from being personal for the writer to being personal now for the reader. Starting in verse 3, he begins to address you. Now all the yous in this psalm are singular. They're not plural. He's not speaking to us corporately. He's saying you. Almost like this man of faith who's witnessed God's protection is sitting down across a table over coffee to tell you something personal from his heart to yours. And this perspective shift changes the way we read it, doesn't it? You can really read it and say, this is for me. And so let's read it that way now. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. So as you read through this psalm, read verses 3 through 13 as directed towards you. But then, look around the room. How many brothers and sisters in this room need to hear you speak directly to them the way that the psalmist has spoken directly to you? It went from being personal for the writer to being personal for the reader. And so we're encouraged to do the same. Consume this promise and run to the fortress, but bring as many brothers and sisters with you as you can. The ones who are limping and struggling and running the other way. Or the ones who know what they ought to do, but they're afraid to do it. Grab a hold of them and take them with you. Lastly, the psalm is personal from God. In verse 14, the promise is from God's mouth himself. Verse 1 comforts us because it's a general promise. Verse 2 is comforting because you see a man of faith apply it to his own life. Verses 3 through 13 are comforting because it applies it to you. And we're encouraged to do the same for others. But if for some reason you still haven't been comforted yet, God wants to see to it that you are. And so he silences the psalmist and he tells you himself, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God is promising to protect You, in a world of danger. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So, dwell in Him. Dwell in Him. And then, face your trial. Step out in faith. Enter into this new year in hope because you know He will keep you safe. Let's pray.